Hello and welcome to Long Ball Premier League Preview Show. I'm Declan DeVarp. And I'm Kosti Kapoor. So much to talk about, so let's start the show. Costy, costy, costy. Welcome back once again on the show for the second week in a row. How are you doing, man? Not bad. This week is way more stressful than most weeks when it comes to football. It's kind of a, one of those weeks where you don't know if you want to watch more build-up or watch less build-up and just go straight to the game uh, because it's super stressful. Obviously, let's not beat around the bush. You all know what we're talking about. Big game this weekend. Liverpool and Manchester City, arguably the crown jewel of the weekend across all of Europe. A top of the table scrap and, you know, the winner takes all. And I had five friends that I asked today in preparation for this show. What do you think about this game? One of my friends with Karshi said that this is the make or break for both teams season defining match. A very simple one-liner that'll define this game. One of my other friends, actually, he says that it's technically not a derby, but if it were, it'd be a dominance derby. One of my other friends mentioned that it's a Sunday banger for the top spot. And then last but not least, it's a clash of the titans. That's, that's how people are talking about this game. I think that what it really is, and you take you you strip aside Liverpool and Manchester City. It's a battle between Klopp and Pep and a clash of philosophy, the old versus the new, the early 2000s and Pep Guardiola versus this new metal punk version of, of Liverpool, this high pressing, high octane style, the Gergen press. It really does feel like a match of the ages. And you think at one point Manchester City were up on Liverpool by 14 points, 14 points. And we were already talking about how the season is done in the Premier League. Let's go look at Serie A for a title race. Let's go look at uh, the Bundesliga for a title race. But no, we're talking about a title race in the Premier League, something that might be decided. Both managers have tried to talk down the occasion here. Both managers giving lots of plaudits to each other. Guardiola saying that Klopp is the best manager in the Premier League. Uh, Klopp not, not being shy with his praise either and Klopp being like even if we lose this isn't the end of the season there's still more to come from this team but Costi are we gonna figure out who is the title favorite who is the title winner on Sunday I think if if we don't stretch it that far I think it's definitely a must win for Liverpool and uh, I see that because of two reasons one that we're one point behind City um, so just mathematically, we should win our game against City. There's been already a six-pointer in Everton-Burnley that we'll talk about this show. But also, this is also a six-pointer, although it's not being put that way, but it, it is. Because you not only have the chance to win three points, you deny three points to your title rival. So I think for Liverpool, it's, it's a must-win. But when it comes to City, City would technically maybe even take a draw given their their fixtures for the rest of the season are less harsh than Liverpool's but Liverpool have never done anything the easy way uh look at their win in the Champions League except for the Premier League I guess we did everything the hard way Champions League we had to go twice uh we'd never won the uh Carling Cup and even that uh the final against Chelsea was dicey and a Liverpool win did not look probable 
so it's the Liverpool way. It's the hard way we like to do things. And the only thing that I, it's, this is reminiscent of for the most part is the league title race uh, when we won the Champions League that season two years ago. And that is not the prettiest side because I think that season at its stage, we were 74, 73 uh, to Man City. And now we're 73, 72 to Man City as well. So that makes it a little tricky. And I'm sure that Klopp will have all of this in his mind, but he'll show a little bit uh, and keep marching on the band that this is not the end of the season. There's a lot lot more football to play, but he knows in his heart and we know in our heart that it's, it's a make or break for Liverpool. I think it's a make or break for for City as well. For so long that they were they were truly comfortable in their spot. Like I said, fourteen points up on Liverpool, ten points up on Chelsea, and how the tides have turned. You mentioned their final games, and it's Wolves, Brighton, Watford, Leeds, Newcastle, West Ham, and Aston Villa to close out the season for the Citizens. So, you know, very winnable games for all of them. But then you look at. City's most recent results, and they've dropped dropped points to Spurs. They've dropped points to Palace. They've dropped points to Southampton. And when you combine the games in hand, it's really opened the door for Liverpool to come in and smash some boxes and really cause all kinds of panic. So, you know, you make the argument for why this is a game Liverpool need to win. Well, I think it's the same the other way. It takes the pressure off. And yes, a draw would be nice, but a win would restore that advantage that Manchester City want. But I do think that this is going all the way down to the final day. This is There's plenty of twists and turns left to have in this season, but let's focus on the teams just here a little bit. We'll get to Liverpool in a little bit because I think that they have some of the more interesting questions to deal with, but let's start with City. And that's simply to say, what do City do? We never know who City are going to start. We know that they'll be without the services of Ruben Dias, who's been out since the beginning of March with a hamstring injury. But I think that there's a couple key battles I really want to focus on. And the first one is down the flanks. How do Jao Cancelo and Kyle Walker deal with the threat of Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robbo? I think they've done that in the past by mostly just keeping possession. City is a possession team and they do it better than anybody else in the world. Uh, You could just see Atletico's heat map in the first half where Atletico's heat map did not spend past their first half because City just had and kept all that possession. So I think City do defend by attacking and they're like the epitome of that statement. So I, I, I think that's how they deal with it. If you... If you look at it tactically, otherwise they have, uh, let's see what formation they play, but most likely they'll play three um, three defenders, three center backs with Kyle Walker and Jao Cancelo uh, as well on the flanks and uh, one CDM. And that in itself, you think that should be good enough. But given that Liverpool have um, a false nine, which drags their C- center backs and CDMs all over the place, it's hard for City to double up in the five men, men that are defending. So I think it would then come down to a one-on-one between Cancelo and Trent and Kyle Walker and Rabo. And that that battle for Cancelo and Walker to win is super hard, not because uh, Trent has a lot of pace, but pr- Trent can deliver the ball from anywhere. So it's not that you, you know, you make sure he doesn't go down the flank, but it's it's that Henderson-Trent ball where Henderson makes uh, a run on the outside while Trent stays inside and gets a cutback. 
and he delivers a piece of a ball to Diego Jota's head. It's it's more that Robbo also then has the pace. So for Kyle Walker to deal with him on the pace, it's it's hard. So I, I think City have to keep possession as much as they can and not allow those types of situations to develop through their possession. I don't believe that they can do it by, say, doubling up and have that tactical imbalance in their favor. I think that you're entirely right that the question of the width on the outside is the trouble for Manchester City. There are some some questions to be asked in the middle, but I think that uh, City do have the quality there. And this isn't to say anything against Jao Cancelo and Kyle Walker, who I think are two of the best uh, wingbacks in the Premier League. But we're talking about super teams here. And you look at Trent and you look at Robbo, and these are, I would argue, two of the three best wingbacks in the entire world right now, um, just looking on pure form as well. And, you know, Trent has struggled in and out of the squad with some injuries this season, but when he's come back in, he's been phenomenal. And the trouble that he will provide with some of these city defenders, I think is, is, is really the interesting question going into this game and, how Pep sets up to deal with it. And if we see a little bit more defensive wingers for Pep in, in this game, but I don't think that we can compare what city did against Atletico Madrid to what city will do against Liverpool. They're two very different beasts. Uh, Simeone plays this much older style of football that, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he was practically playing five, five, zero. And we know how city like their strikerless formations, but I, I don't think Pep was on board with Simeone's strikerless formation there. The battle along the, the touch lines, I think will be the deciding factor in this game. But do you agree with me? Do you think that that will be where the game is won or lost or will it be in the middle of the park, Costi? I think with the addition of Thiago, you can never say how we're going to win a game, which I really like. And even Naby Keita. So Naby Keita and Thiago, I think, have only played a couple or a handful of games together this season. But whenever they play together, there's an interesting thing that Keita plays a little further forward and Thiago plays. Uh, continues to stay a little further back, even uh, on the line of Fabinho, one might say. And with that, you know, Thiago likes a couple extra seconds on the ball to pick his pass. So when he does, it's uh, it's most times amazing and insane. Whereas Keita is very good in short and tight spaces um, to do a little shimmy or a little step over and release the ball. So with that, those additions, I think it's it's... Not unfair because obviously I was just looking at the EPL stats and it's um, it's it's top three is Liverpool and Trent, Salah and Rabo. Um, so it's not unfair for you to say that that it should the game should be won or lost uh, at the touchlines. But it depends on um, what Thiago does in the midfield because he has been given that license. It seems like to sort of spit the spit the field in half if he wanted to with one pass through the middle and uh, spit a couple lines of defense there. So it's with that addition and with that license given uh, to Thiago, it could be that um, you know we do a dummy, we do a fake there, uh, bombing through the touch lines in the beginning, but then when Thiago gets a the ball, there are these interesting positions that um, I'm not sure if uh, if 
for, this is a game for Firmino, but I believe it is. Um, I don't know if Klopp will think that. Firmino dropping back and Thiago sort of passing it to him, cutting through a couple lines of defense. That could be an interesting thing to watch out for as well. And I'm sure that we'll come on to the Liverpool attack in just a minute, but I want to focus on the City midfield because you mentioned the presence of Thiago. You mentioned the presence of Naby Keita. Well, I present to you Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan, two of the best central midfielders in the entire league. You throw Phil Foden in there or you throw uh, Fernandinho in there or Rodri or whoever you like if Pep wants to use a a defense a a central defensive midfielder in this game we saw him in the Champions League final elect to go without one to disastrous results but I think that this midfield battle is very very interesting because you have Kevin De Bruyne a player who is not afraid to wander forwards a player who can spray balls a player who can finish from the midfield and you have that almost mirrored in Ilkay Gundogan, maybe not to the same extent in Gundogan, a little bit better of a defender, but still a very competent for player in moving the ball, getting it, it forward. And Pep loves his technical players. Everyone in this, in this squad is a very technically adapt, adept player. And I think that it just provides us with all these really, really interesting battles all over the pitch. Is it going to be KDB or Thiago who, who, who shines on the day? Is Fernandinho going to be able to ice out one of uh, F- F- Firmino or, or Thiago or any of the other uh, midfielders for, Ma- for, for Liverpool? Who's going to get the, the better of each other on the outside? Which forwards will show up on the day? Is Salah going to be controlled by John Stones or, or America Laporte? I think what we get from this game is this sense of is this real it's sense overwhelming. of it's it's overwhelming with how much we we get but it's this sense of greatness. It's nights like these that make this sport what it is and the rarity Honestly, of them. You know, I say that. I say that and I know we have another Liverpool City match and the FA Cup semi-final just 6 days away but there's so much to to enjoy with this game that we could do a full hour podcast on just this matchup and all of the individual matchups, how the players line up against each other. And then we we're not even going to mention the matchup between Pep and Klopp, as as I already said, the old versus the new, the classical rock to the punk metal, if you if you will. And it's it's just such an exciting game to really sink our teeth into. But Costi, I, I want to ask you this. What do Manchester City need to do to win this game? Outscore Liverpool. I think that's <laughs> the only way they win this game. I, I, I'll continue I, and stick I, with I that story. I can't I agree with you. That's the way. I, I don't think that you're right in that. I don't think that you want to go head-to-head with the best offense in the division. See, I think Liverpool have been given um, a lot of credit, obviously, for their offense. But I think it's it's Allison that wins us way too many games that still gets unset. And when you come against teams like Watford and teams like uh, Everton and teams like like these bottom half teams that might not be the best at scoring because they don't have the players with the calmness and the coolness of KDB and uh, Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling. I think, I, I think Alisson is the best keeper uh, alive. 
Um, he bailed us out of so many situations. I think it's, it's when you come against these teams, um, it becomes sketchy. And that's why I think we, it's not that our defense doesn't get breached. It's that Allison is the key component that keeps, keeps us together. And that's why I say outscore, because if you take, if you pepper enough shots against Allison, I think even he will have to bow down. And that's why I think you have to try and outscore a team that's very hard to defend against because how the way the way Pep Guardiola plays, it'll be really hard for him to set up within three, four days of the Atletico game to, to an ultra-defensive or almost like the most compact side alive because if, if that's not the case, then Liverpool will break you down. We just never stop or relentless in our, in our attack. So I think the best, me personally, I do think the best, the best way of defending against Liverpool for a team like Man City is to attack and have that um, prowess on the field as much as you can. And that's why I, I think that Ilkay Gundogan drops out of this team for a Phil Foden. Um, and Phil Foden loves scoring and producing amazing moments against Liverpool. Sentimental me does believe that Klopp, uh, sorry, Pep will start Phil Foden. And I think it's going to be Rodri hanging back uh, with the four defenders um, and the rest of the team in KDB, uh, Phil Foden and your front three. Uh, in I think Bernardo Silva, Mares, and Sterling, all three could start um, just peppering Liverpool as much as they can. I think that Phil Foden is best used in a wing position, um, just personally. And I think that he will start. I think that he might be the difference maker in this game. But I think he does his best work um, from the outside of the pitch, cutting in, creating space for others. And I think that Ilkay Gundogan pro- provides you with something that you don't get when you play a Phil Foden in the middle of the park. And that's the freedom that it gives Kevin De Bruyne to kind of wander and use his positional awareness to really dominate games. And Gundogan being, while offensively minded, still defensively responsible in that way. And, you know, I think that if you're Manchester City, you want to grab an early goal and to really bury this game. And I don't mean that in, you know, you grab one and then you score three more. I mean, you grab one and then you take the sting out of the game. You suffocate Liverpool. You don't give them the chance, the space, the energy to to move. You slow the pace down when you want. And that's how you win this game. You play Pep Guardiola-style football. You don't give Liverpool a moment to to settle in and play their game. And we've seen against teams like West Ham, who is the most recent team this Liverpool lot, squad lost to all the way back in November, which is ridiculous to say. But what West Ham did in that game was they sat back, yes, but they also suffocated Liverpool. They didn't give them the space to pick a ball. They didn't give them the opportunity to make a move. And, you know, fortuitous as they were in their chances... This city squad is one of the best finishing squads in the league. I would argue only behind Liverpool. For sure. Uh, I totally agree. I was just looking at the lineup from the game in October and Rodri was the only defensive minded midfielder in that team. And I think Pep continues doing that against Liverpool in the hope that he can outscore us. And, uh, 
that's that's why I, I agree with you that Phil Foden will start on the wing with Bernardo Silva sort of dropping back, um, which leaves a question on who starts in the middle. I think Raheem Sterling might drop out for somebody like uh, Jesus, but that's even yeah. This see this team, it's hard to predict. <laughs> and I think that that's the beauty of Pep Squad. You never really know who you're gonna come up against and who's going to be playing in the middle and who's going to be playing where. I think the only certainty is that you're going to see Kevin De Bruyne in there. You're going to see America Laporte. You're going to see, you know, um, Walker and you're going to see Cancelo. But other than that, you, you really don't know. But I want to ask, we'll, we'll turn now to Liverpool because I think that we can do all day on, on Manchester City. And I think we're already about 20 minutes into this show. So let's talk about Liverpool and let's talk about that Liverpool attack. Because I think that if Liverpool are to win, it's going to be through their attacking players. It's going to be through Salah, Mane, Jota, Luis Diaz. The names go on and on. And this offense is fantastic in the front three that they can put out. And then they're fantastic in their ability to replace them with world-class talent. Uh, I don't think that there's any other way to say it. But if you're Klopp in this situation, and I think you've already given some of this away, who are you sending out there, the front three, to start this game? I'm sending out Luis Diaz, Bobby Firmino, and Mo Salah to start the game. I think the only contentious point here is... Actually, there's two. There's two. There's uh, the Diogo Jota conversation and the Sadio Mane conversation to be had. Sadio Mane in the recent few games has been tried out as a central number nine striker. He has performed at a very average level in that position. Asadio Mane, in general, I think people look at his stats and think he's done amazingly this season, but I've watched this guy play for the past few seasons in a Liverpool shirt. His game has... His game has degraded a little bit in terms of his pace um, and his technical ability on the ball, which has led to him not being favored on the wing as much because he doesn't have that dynamism, I believe, or maybe it's just the season, but this season he hasn't had that dynamism to him to beat a man or two and put the ball in or uh, take a shot on that. So that conversation where should Sadio Mane start I think that it's twofold. One, where should he start? I think if he has to start, he has to start on the wing because his uh, best position is still that. We've seen that in the past few weeks. But then you have uh, Luis Diaz, who's done amazing since he's come on in a Liverpool shirt. So I think Luis Diaz wins that conversation. And then there's the Diogo Jota conversation in the middle in place of Bobby Firmino. And the only reason why I think this is a Bobby Firmino game is because you want to make sure you drag these players out of position as much as possible with deft touches and ball to feet in places where you won't expect a striker to have the ball in his feet. Um, and for that reason, I think Bobby Firmino must start this game. And it's it's amazing to see the Bobby Firmino hate sort of go away in the past 
few months. It was very prevalent in the beginning of the season, but then it sort of went away. Uh, and it's mostly because of the emergence of Jota and Luis Diaz, because now that there's two players that can, uh, you know, start in games where Bobby might not be needed that much, it's these these games where he can produce his, his magic that are available to him. Because in a game like Man City, where you want your number nine, at least for me, your false nine, to have that amazing silky touch uh so you can trust trust that player to do a turn where it shouldn't be physically possible to turn the defender and uh sort of create a create an opening create a chance uh and that's still bobby firmino's role he's the best there is in this team so for me i'd start i'd start firmino in the middle as a false nine luis diaz on the left and salah on the right and if that doesn't work out i would put on jota uh, in the middle first, depending on how the game goes on, and then money. I think that that's fair, and you use all of the talent that that Klopp has at his availability. And you know, we've really seen the blossoming of Louis, Luis Diaz. How fantastic of a player he was! What a great buy, and he really showed that midweek against Benfica, where he was, I would argue, the best player on on the pitch, and dominated that game against a club that he knows um, all too well. But I think that your shout of bringing Bobby Firmino back into the, into the fold here is, is really interesting. We've seen Diego Jota really come in and take that position for his own and add to what Bobby Firmino was already bringing to that position. But I think that what you... Everything you bring up is is a good point, but are you not worried that Klopp, the man who not invented but popularized this idea of a false nine, might know exactly where Klopp is going to go with that and unpredictability will win the day? Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point that uh, you want to be as unpredictable as possible so City don't know what they're preparing for. And I think even now, they really don't know what they're preparing for because Mane has played in that number nine false nine position. Jota has played in that position. And Firmino always has played in that position. So they don't really know what's coming. They know that in the wings, there'll be one of these uh, three players, uh, one of these three players on the left wing uh, in Jota, Mane, or Luis Diaz. And they produce sort of week in, week out the same thing. And that's uh, something they keep prep for. But in the middle, it's super hard. And one more reason why I think Bobby Firmino is a perfect fit for this game is that when we've seen Jota and Mane play, their touch is still heavier than Firmino's by all measures, which means in tight spaces, it can be hard for them to control the ball. And why that's important, I feel, in this game is that City, not known for their their Greg and pressing, but sort of also play that the same way. They don't defend in packs the way most teams and even Liverpool do. We have a very solid defensive idea in that uh, if somebody's attacking down the wing, we have our midfielders sort of doubling up with our fullbacks so that there's never an open cross or we try to do that. But City, City's idea of defense is when it as high up the pitch as possible because they don't want to get into that shape and defend in that deep shape. That's not their strength. And I feel like that's something that they're going to do. So you want somebody who's really comfortable to drop 30, 40 yards even into the midfield and collect that ball and, and drag players out of position so you can lay it off to Trent and uh, he can do that amazing final ball. 
whereas I feel like Jota and Mane are better off in scoring a goal. So if there's a header, heading opportunity, a shooting opportunity, they're a little better. But again, the, the conversation on this can go round and round and on and on. Um, do you rely on Salah and Diaz to score the goals? Because that's what will happen if Bobby plays in the middle. Bobby doesn't really score, score that many goals. Uh, or do you want all three players to score to be an attacking threat in terms of scoring a goal? Uh, it's just, it, it's impossible to predict. And I think that this game is also impossible pr- to predict. But given that we're late into injury time here in this first half, I think I'm going to push you for a prediction, uh, Costi, right before we head into the halftime break. I think it will be Liverpool 3-1. Ooh. And I say that because I'm optimistic and I want us to win the league. And that's the only reason. Uh, I have a feeling that City are just too much. Despite Liverpool's fantastic form, as I mentioned, they haven't dropped a point since January 2nd. They haven't lost a game since November 7th. This will be the first time I think they'll play to a hearty draw and the game will and the title will continue to simmer away for the last couple of weeks of the season. But that's going to take us into halftime. And before we jump back into this, we'll have a quick word from our sponsors. Do you want to learn English? Do you want to play games based on the analysis you lead on the Mastermind site? Then go check out Footy Lingo. Whether you're new to football or have been following it for some time, learning about the beautiful game can be hard and confusing sometimes. But Footy Lingo is here to help. It's an online language learning system for football lovers. You'll play games, read articles, and learn more about football all at once as you improve your English reading, writing, and speaking skills. All you have to do is go to the Footy Lingo link in the description and use code MASTERMINDSITE at checkout for 20% off any subscription plan. That's MASTERMINDSITE for 20% off your first order on any subscription plan on Footy Lingo. And now, let's get back to the show. Thank you, Footy Lingo, for your continued support of the Long Ball Premier League preview show. And let's get back into this, Costi. There's so much at both ends of the table this season to really enjoy. And we'll start with a recap before getting in to some more preview of this weekend's action. And I think that everyone knows what we're going to talk about. It's this continuing story of the death spiral of Everton. And Everton, on Wednesday night, lose a huge game in their bid for Premier League survival, a game that they couldn't afford to lose. Obviously, dropping points to Burnley is not something you want to do. But when you're ahead at the hour mark and you go behind to Burnley, who played uncharacteristically, very open, very offensively, won the game 3-2. to two. And I want to share with you this quote that Sean Dyche said at the end of the match to Sky Sports. And he said, at halftime, I said, I'm not sure Everton know how to win a game, lads. And that was followed up by Pope post-match in, in the huddle with all the Burnley players saying, we're not fucking dead yet. And you compare that to Everton, who look dead. They, they, they look dejected. They look uninterested. And we have a real problem here. If you're Everton, you have played a six-pointer here that you were leading through, I would argue, fortuitous penalties that, you know, were penalties, but were soft and were created by some some good goal mouth action. But it's not working with Lampard. And we, we had this discussion a few weeks ago on this podcast. 
But Lampard has dropped seven of his first nine games as, as Everton manager, and it's not getting better. It's not getting better. Um, currently, the Toffees sit one point outside of the drop zone and very realistically could fall into it at the end of the weekend if some results go against them, that including Burnley beating Norwich, who they play on Saturday afternoon. Everton will play Everton will play Manchester United this weekend, and you never know what to expect from from man from Manchester United. But you know, I don't think it's out of the question to think that Everton might be dropping below the waves. It totally isn't, and uh, that part is regurgitated. And uh, in the UCL commentary, where I was trying to watch the. Real Madrid Chelsea game and every two minutes there was a talk about how Everton haven't been relegated in so long since the 1950s or uh, something insane like that I might be getting my dates wrong here but um, it's it's a very real possibility they've played 29 games they have 25 points and uh, they have Burnley up their rear end trying to get out of that drop zone this weekend for Everton is a crucial game. Um, Everton don't have a strong backbone, don't have, don't look like they have the DNA of surviving this last nine game stretch. And that is very troublesome because they brought in Frank Lampard for some reason that is still untenable to me. I don't know what Everton support supporters thoughts on this are, but I think if they don't win this weekend it's morally it might be curtains that uh you know they were up at halftime they got two penalties and uh were doing decently well but they come out in the second half and just cannot hold out even at the debt just for a point and that is very very sad to see because i think everton still demand that sort of Premier League respect as a club. But if they go down, it'll be very, very interesting to see how they restructure and reshape themselves to come back up, if that's even possible. I think this game on Saturday is a make-or-break game for Frank Lampard. He hasn't been very, very soothing to the Everton supporters because of his lack of experience in this position it doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing exactly he still wants to play like a team that's in and and around the top half of the table and that is very concerning because somebody give him a phone call and tell him that he's not managing Chelsea yet he's in a relegation battle yeah and I mean when you watch this match I think Everton for large stretches of it were actually the better team um, they generated a lot offensively. They won the XG battle 1.7 to 2.58. They played well, but they were let down by individual mistakes and two cutbacks. And the first one, it's an excellent move by Charlie Taylor to to drift past um, the Everton right back. His name is escaping me. Um, but you look at the third goal for Burnley in the 85th minute and it's Ben Godfrey double kicking the ball in it finds its way to Charlie Taylor once again, who squares it and concept finishes it. And you can see what it means to these Burnley players. They're a team who has been there before. And I want to have this discussion about if that's actually something that's worthwhile, a team and a manager and 
this knowledge of how to, of how to survive and how to get out of it because you'd think that it would just be talent but i think that everton are proving that wrong it's mentality as as much as it is talent um but you know it's individual mistakes on the back end a team that doesn't know how to defend everton are a team who were without their best defender in Yerry Mina, who were without Michael Keane, who got a red card against West Ham. And they looked like a team who did not know how to defend at all. You know, Ben Godfrey put in a position he's not, he's not used to. And they make mistakes and they can't c- control the ball and they give the ball away. And Burnley made them pay. Burnley, a team not known for making p- teams pay, but Burnley, a team that made them pay. But Costi, I do want your opinion on this. Do you think it's it's actually a, a serious talking point that teams who have been in relegation battles before know how to survive? Is is that something that you think is actually important here and something that is partially the undoing of Everton? They they don't have anyone who seems to know how to battle. Um I think experience is everything in, in, in the world. And if you haven't been in a spot that, uh, especially a spot that's this tight, you don't know whether to keep the ball in a certain situation or to hoof it away or to attack or to just hold on to this. And that's not only for the players, but also the manager. He's, again, I mentioned this last time, but his greatest achievement is getting Derby to the playoff spots and losing it. And, for me, that sort of pedigree is not enough to keep a team whose last nine games are against mostly top six opposition. They have Chelsea, they have Leicester twice, they have Liverpool, they have United. It's just a bloodbath. I was looking at the games right before my talking point here, and it's just, where do they get any points from? And don't I, forget I, I don't that it, this is where. a Leicester team who are on the rise, a Leicester team who finally have Johnny Evans and Wesley Fofana back. They're looking much more confident. And a team that was able to do that, to lose a whole center back pairing and still be in 10th, Everton are, for lack of a better term, Everton are down bad. They're terrible. They're in a terrible situation. And I genuinely do not know how they get, get out of this. And when you look at why they're in this position, it's financial. Honestly, they spent 1.4 million in the last wind in the la- in the previous summer. They were able to buy two players, largely because of the sale of Luca Ding, and they posted a loss of over 200 million. And when you look at the allowable financial financial losses in the Premier League and the financial losses in the Football league, there it's night and day. It's night and day, and I think that there is this real possibility that Everton might go down, and I think that there's the real possibility that Everton stay down because uh, you look at their players and how many of them are sticking around. Honestly, how many of them are sticking around? Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't. Richarlison isn't. Anthony Gordon maybe. He's impressed. He's impressed loads, but. You know, Allen's gone. Dakure's probably gone. Yuri Mina's gone. Jordan Pickford's gone. We're talking about an, a, replacing an entire squad here and doing so with less money than you would, would normally get, with doing so under the cloche of financial punishment and doing so in a financially terrible situation. We've seen this happen before. We've seen this happen with Leeds. We've seen this happen 
with Sunderland. We've seen this happen with Blackburn. We've seen this happen with so many teams. And it would honestly make me sad if Everton were the next one. Because we've also seen teams drop down and come back up one season and, and survive. But I don't know if Everton are in that position. I think that's totally fair. I think Everton, if they go down, have a very, very long way back up uh, into the Premier League, uh, having to restructure their football club so that they are out of that loss period is going to be huge. Um, spotting talent. So for that, you need, I'm guessing, a much better scouting and a much different scouting understanding of the football leagues as well because you're not picking up players now for 40 50 million like they did with their childers and you're 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 working off scraps picking up a player for 200k up to a million couple million four million uh and that's a whole different ball game you need a whole different team for that i don't think the team currently is suited to pick up those types of players either so when a team goes down um if it's a team like that of Burnley that has been in that situation where going down and coming up is sort of like not the biggest deal for them because they do it almost every five years or, or so. It's it's easier. It's easier to adapt to. You're ready to play that long championship season and come back up and that's the belief you have. Whereas when you, when you look at a team like Everton that's been in the Premier League for that long and they have structurally and, and in their ethos and have no idea how to go down and come back up, it's, it's a big task. It's a, it's a humongous, monstrous task because you're going to get gutted to the brim. You're going to lose all your best players and then you have to rebuild an entire team. I think uh, I watched the Southampton documentary where they had to do that and it was, it was gut-wrenching. And It's, it's going to be something like that. I, it'll be interesting if Lampard then decides to stay or move on or what happens with that manager. Again, it's, it's, it's a tough decision for... Um, for them if all of these tough decisions sort of piling up and the, obviously it'll be in the back of their heads uh, on what they can and can't do. But for them to stay up, it's going to take a miracle. That's, that's for sure. Um, I think the team in itself would have to imbibe that sort of fighter spirit and somehow come up with insane performances against some of the best teams in the league. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, when you take into account the 1500 games, a team needs to play in the championship and how much this and how much this Everton squad is really struggling to deal with a Premier League schedule. It's not looking pretty. I just want to read you the, uh, the final fixtures for Everton Watford and uh, Burnley, because those three teams, it really could be any two of the three that are going to go down. I think that Leeds have comfortably uh, moved themselves out of this. They're on 30 points right now, but, uh, you know, improving all the time. So for Everton, they play, they play Burnley on Wednesday. They have Manchester United this weekend. Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Watford, which will be a, a crucial game. Brentford, another crucial game. Crystal Palace, and they finish the season away at Arsenal. For Watford, it's Leeds on the weekend. Then Brentford, City, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Everton, Leicester, and Chelsea. And then for Burnley, who I would argue have the easiest schedule out of them all, Norwich on the weekend. Then they travel to West Ham, Southampton, Wolves, Watford, Villa, Tottenham, Villa, and Newcastle at home to close their season out. So, you know, 
if I'm a betting man, I'm putting money that Burnley are going to stay up, that Watford or that Everton are going down and that Watford are going down. But what do Everton need to do to get points? Because I think a win is possible. We've seen we've seen some of the relegation candidates go to uh, Old Trafford and get a win. But uh, what do Everton need to do when they host Manchester United on the weekend? United are in the sort of form that you don't know what's going to give. Is it going to be an amazing performance by the entire team and one man in particular that is Cristiano Ronaldo? Or are they going to have one of those freak days where they, you know, get pummeled and end up losing the game? So it, it is a, if, if I were an, the Everton boss, I would say somehow let's pick up one to three points here. And then let's pray to God what happens in the next some games because they're against Liverpool, Chelsea, and Leicester. So I think this this game in itself is is very important for Everton. I think they have to make sure that they shut down Cristiano Ronaldo if he does play because that he is going to be their prime target man. I think United have shuffled around their front line so much this season. And, and you know, it's it's players like Bruno Fernandes scoring a brace that's giving them the wins. And it's good for Bruno for, to sort of show that sort of form again. But I don't think he's at that level of consistency where he's going to score uh, a couple of goals every week so that United keep collecting the points. So that's, that's my honest opinion on that United team. And that's why I think Everton can target them if they just, managed to keep that front line disrupted as it is in itself because um, Ralph Rennick doesn't know whether to start Ronaldo or not, whether to start Rashford or not. There, he has a bunch of players that are either not on form or just being played out of position or don't know what they really are expected in this team. So Everton, if they, if they can keep a solid back line, I think it's quite possible that they come up with some sort of points here. I, th- I think I'm a little bit less optimistic than you are, but I, I do see that there is this case, but let's move on to Burnley. And it was a, it was a confident perform- performance from Burnley. They played out of their skins. They were not afraid to go forward and they were not afraid to challenge Everton. And they play Norwich on the weekend. And I think that this is exactly the game that Norwich, that Burnley want. They can build up some momentum going into the final weeks of the season where they play some of the weaker teams and possibly uh, stay up. You know, Norwich winless in their last eight Premier League games. Burnley, the chance to go out of the relegation zone. The last match between these two teams, a boring 0-0 draw. But what can this momentum do for a team like Burnley who are trying to get out of the relegation zone. I think we've talked about this as something that's going to happen, but I just don't see Norwich being able to challenge Burnley in this game. I think that Norwich are firmly a championship squad and, you know, it's nice to have them in the Premier League every other year, but uh, you know, it's another, it's another year where they haven't made an impact. Yeah. And it's sad, it's sad to see sometimes because, you know, they, they play their guts out for one season and, uh, earn an automatic promotion back to the Premier League, but they get sent back right down really quickly. It's that secret sauce that you have to come up with when you come back up in the Premier League so you can stay up there. And that takes 
many seasons of determination and understanding um and honestly shrewd recruitment when you come back up that's the that's the key part where norwich i think are a little behind and we saw that with southampton in the 2012 season where they came up i believe uh and how they've sort of since that season for so, sort of been up there and and not skipped a beat in the premier league being a uh, you know, bottom half table uh, table side. It's just that that piece of the puzzle that Norwich keep missing when they come back up is, uh, I think, shoot recru- recruitment when you come back up so you can um, have those players and more importantly, that manager that will not ensure that you'll have this amazing run of five games when we saw Timo Pukki come up uh, into the scene. Uh, it's more that they will ensure that throughout the season and 38 game season, they'll pick up points here and there so they can be the 14th, 13th best team in the Premier League and just sort of stay up. Um, and to your point of Burnley, uh, sort of almost overriding Norwich in this game, I totally agree. I don't think Norwich have... Uh, Norwich, again, it's kind of like Everton playing United, would have to come up with something spectacular to beat such a well-drilled Burnley side that knows... A, not just how to play under pressure in this relegation times, but also, I believe, just have more quality than Norwich. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, especially in a game where we expect Norwich to have a majority or a decent amount of possession, it they really look like a team that can't perform. You know, they have good players like Billy Gilmore and uh, Matthias Nor- Norman, who I really like. I really like Matthias Norman at this um this Norwegian player who who joined the squad and he's been good for them this season, but it doesn't stop Norwich from having one of the worst passing records in the entire division. They only complete about 76% of their passes. They are dominated in the middle areas of the pitch and you know they're simply not good enough. They don't have the quality here. And I, I, I do think that this will be another feather in Sean Dyche's cap as he works towards savior. But let's turn to the last game we're going to talk about here. There is a lot of marquee matchups. I think that we can agree. Obviously, there is the game that everyone is hotly waiting for in Liverpool and Manchester City that we started the show with. But you look up and down the schedule for this weekend, and there's no lack of quality. There is so much sports on this weekend that I am just excited to devour, and that includes Leeds-Watford. Jesse March, since his appointment, on the 1st of March has been fantastic. He's turned leads around. They've only lost the XG battle twice. They've only they've only lost two games in that stretch. One, two as well, and drawn one. They're up at 30 points. Five points clear, or sorry, six points clear of the drop zone. Five points clear of Everton. And I think that they're safe. Would you agree, Costi? I think leads are leads are safe from this drop zone. I think they would have to have a total lapse in um, tactics and understanding to go down. I think at this point of the season, which is good to see because leads have the players that are of Premier League uh, capability, and it would be very it would have been very sad to see them go down. I think leads are comfortably uh, out of the drop zone, not. Some, some uh, mostly to do with them, but also to do with the fact that Watford, uh, Everton, and Norwich are 
so likely to go down that it's hard for leads to even get to that point where they have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen these really interesting tactical developments actually recently come out of Jesse Marsh's style. And, you know, he is similar in many ways to Mauro Bielsa, but he's his own man. He's his own manager. And this interesting little tactical development that he spoke about after the Southampton game was the 100 to 70, which is very different from anything that I think we, we've come to expect from Mauro Bielsa. And he said this, we have a term called we have a term we call 100 to 70. It means that in certain moments, I want the players to slow down a little bit, not always physically, but in their heads too. have a little bit more poise and control in the way we construct our next play, end quote, said Jesse Marsh. This slowing down to take stock of what you have, and you saw it a number of times, especially with Elon Meslier in the game against Southampton, where you know he took a beat, he controlled the ball, he said, we're going to figure out what we're going to do next and think about it. And it's provided leads with this more controlled style, a sense of control that they haven't had in a long time. That was never part of the Mauro Bielsa style. Bielsa was a hundred to 150 uh, if you will. And I think it's shown the quality that leads have. It's given them a chance to catch their breaths and think, because I think so many times this season we've seen, the Leeds squad make mistakes that they were rushed into making, not by the other team, but by themselves. They're a team that has now, rather than looking to play out wide, has looked to play through the middle, and that has used Dan James fantastically well. And a player that I'm excited to continue to see develop, it's allowed Rafinha to show off his little his little skills more centrally and almost has compensated for the lack of, the, uh, of a striker in Patrick Bamford in these games to play a little bit more centrally and force things through the middle of teams. It cuts lines excellently that we haven't seen in the past. And I think that they're going to put on a display against Watford. I think uh, they have missed Patrick Bamford throughout the season and him still not being back and suffering that setback when he came on is, is sad to see, but Rodrigo and that addition to the team, I think is, is beautiful to see where he's playing right behind Dan James and sort of controlling that area of the pitch, giving the license for Dan James to uh, move even further forward and make those intelligent runs is good to see. And, and them not relying completely on Rafinha to develop every single attack also gives Rafinha a little bit more peace of mind when he's running with the ball, not thinking that the whole weight of the team is on his shoulders. And I think that'll free him up a little bit more, not only this season, but next season, knowing that Jesse Marsh believes in um, the tactics of playing through the middle as well as playing through the wing, giving him a little more options and uh, freedom of, of expressing his footballing ability, I believe. And if we just turn to the other side of this match very quickly, I think that one player that Roy Hodgson really needs is Roy Hodgson himself. Did you see his pass in a training to Joao Silva? That <laughs> What a beauty. What a beauty. His team can't string a pass together, but the owl himself is just flexing on his own team. But no, in all, in all seriousness, though, Watford are in a sticky situation, I think. I think it's fair to say that. They currently sit 19th, one point behind Burnley three points behind Everton. This is a game they desperately like to win. Um, you know, Watford, there's still a path out for them. They they have some quality on this team. Manuel Dennis has slowed down and, you know, there's 
other things to concern themselves with, but they're not done for, I don't think, but this game, a massive one for Watford. Yeah, this game, this game is a massive one for Watford because this team that they would believe that they can take some points off of. I think Roy Hodgson as a manager should call it curtains after the season. And I'm not just saying it because he is um, of the older age. It's more that I, I, his, his come up as a manager was as good as his come down. I think it's, it's time for him to sort of call it curtains at, at the ripe, crisp age of 74. Um, that being said, I think Watford, again, have a very tough run-in to end the season. And for them to dream about staying up is difficult with Burnley's easier run-in and uh, Leeds' amazing form. So if they want to have that slight outside chance, I think they have to take some points off this game. I totally agree. But that'll do it for the show this weekend. Costi, thank you again, as always, for coming on. Is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah, I'm going to plug this show, Declan. Uh, uh, thank you so much for having me on the Long Ball Preview Show. Um, again, Declan and I mentioned this last week, but we had a great conversation about integrating more and more analytics into the show to bring a new aspect and of football, a new and emerging aspect of football being used all around in the game from scouting to in-game tactics. And uh, it'll be a smaller segment. And Declan and I are, are having some initial conversations to set up the show, uh, the piece of the show as, as good as we think we can. Uh, keep looking out for that as well. And I'm sure De- Declan uh, can brief you if you have any questions. But uh, thank you so much, Declan, for having me on. You know, you're always welcome and truly an international show. This Costi all the way out in India doing the bits for us coming on the show whenever we ask. So thank you as always, Costi, for coming on. I can't thank you enough. And thank you listeners for joining us today. If you have any ideas about games or topics you want us to talk about on the show, including that little bit that Costi has teased. If you have any analytical questions that you want us to delve into on this show, tweet us. Or send us an email at site at gmail.com. We'll be back next weekend to dissect all of this week's action and preview another crazy week in the Premier League. Before we get going, I just want to give a big shout out to my boys, West Ham United, into the final eight of the Europa League. They take on Lyon tonight, and uh, I'm, I'm itching for that one. I, I cannot wait. If you enjoyed this show, please give us five stars. And if you really enjoyed it, please tell a friend. And thank you for listening.